You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Star Gaming the Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and we've got a fun one for you today. Oh, yes, it's going to be fun. We're going to be talking about racism, religion, and the South, or as our guests will tell us, God, gold, and glory. But before that, as we're going to be talking about this, unpacking the South, I wanted to give, for those of you that may not be from the South, a little taste of two things as we begin. Some of the Southern crazy, some of the Southern crazy religion, and also some of the Southern crazy religion and times crap. So I'm not going to say anything until it's over, but you'll thank me because it is total nutter butters. Here we go. Listen, church, it won't be long. The, the Antichrist will be on the scene. Even the ridiculous tearing down of all these statues. I mean, I, I looked at that, and, and, and the reasons behind it, Father, there's, there's an ignorance of history amongst other things. But listen to me. The reason they're tearing them down is a precursor. When the Antichrist comes to power, there ain't going to be any statue of anybody but him. Oh, and by the way, when Jesus comes to power, when Jesus comes and he comes in the millennium, there won't be any statues to anything. But on the way to that place, listen, because there is but one hero is Jesus, and he doesn't want us to have a symbol to look at. He is it, and he'll be here. All that's going to go away. But in the meantime, the Antichrist will not allow any worship but to him, and that is being prepared. That is a spiritual preparation for that day. <laughs> All right. So to give you just a scotch, a tiny little bit of context, that's Pastor Randy Ricky of Christian Outreach in Oklahoma. So that's so he's out speaking about this, which which defies logic because he's trying to defend this idea that tearing down Confederate statues will issue in the Antichrist and the end of the world. Because also, as he put it, at the end of the world, there can be no statues because of Jesus. But somehow these statues coming. I don't know. My brain just hurts. But your brain won't hurt as we sit down with Rhonda Ragsdale today, which I'm really excited to do. It was an amazing, it was a fun talk. And without further ado, let's talk about God, gold, and glory. Religion and its roots of racism in the South. So I'm sitting here with Rhonda Ragsdale today. Rhonda is a social justice educator who has a master's degree in U.S. history, Southern history, uh, her passion is social justice. And Rhonda, first of all, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. I am excited to be here and spend this time with you and your listeners. Well, Rhonda, we wanted to be able to talk about, and especially this show is oriented around the South in many ways, the religion and, and, and the South. And I brought you on here wanting to be able to talk about racism now in racism then, and really just kind of how did we get there? And you're an educator, so I wanted to really give you a lot of space today to be able to educate us. Um, oftentimes, 
you hear in the news through political officials or religious uh, people of power that we are a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. You know, we are, we are God's chosen um, and all that other kind of BS. Um, and so I figured, yeah, so, so I want to start off by talking about, talking through this, especially with this being one of your areas of study um, within Southern history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so start us off, Professor. Okay, so first I'll, I'll kind of let you know a little bit about my perspective on yeah. how I approach these subjects. Uh, I'm two parts, historian and sociologist. So historians look for change over time as a traditional practice. And sociologists look at patterns of social regularity. So um, I have a perspective of looking at both what has stayed the same and what has changed over time. So I speak both uh, as a historian and a sociologist on these things. And um, it's difficult to just address where we are with racism today unless we look at the history. And I feel like that's one of the disadvantages of a lot of the conversations about race today is that the histories, the historical trends, and certainly the systems that have been set up to create this situation are often dismissed or minimized or, you know, pressed off as, oh, well, that was the past. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the world we are living in was designed by those before us. And we entered a system none of us designed, but we're all living in it. And at some point in our life, uh, we can or cannot accept it, but we become accountable Mm -hmm. to either be complicit in that system or to resist it. And my education, looking at uh, the history of specifically this country, but but beyond that, and um, our current our current situations, my decision was to resist. Mm. And the way I do that is by educating. And uh, there's um, all kinds of ways that people resist, but I am a called educator. My my first student was my younger sister, who I taught to read when I was maybe six or seven years old, and I haven't stopped. So that's where I serve. That's what I do. And that's why I actually study history and sociology is to have an understanding of these things and to try to figure out what to do about it. Mm-hmm. What I try to do about it is educate. So, so educator, uh, so let, let's hop in on this. So let's begin to talk about the roots, the roots of racism in America, uh, tying into the fact that religion has also been there, walking well, hand in hand in many ways. Right. So we have to go back a long way. Or maybe hand and whip it has been going along. For yeah, lack of a terrible metaphor, sorry. Wah, but, wah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have to go back in time quite a bit, and we have to go to um, the invention of racism. Mm. And that happened in Europe by an elite group of people who were uh, attempting to colonize the world. And they were using religion and um, uh, their their ideas of superiority based on this racist system that they had constructed. They were they designed that in order to justify the imperialism that we are told is the new world, the new world, and what we mean. Uh, 
the new world, what is, that is, is the time period in which Europeans had a new system in order to justify. It, religious wars have been going on much longer than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, – During this time of what they call exploration, this time of conquest and really, you know, global imperialism that we see when the Americas are first uh, explored is what our textbooks (laughs) will say. Mm -hmm. But they were conquered when they're conquered by the Europeans. This is done uh, in the name of what we say, God, gold and glory. Mm. And um, that came along with them as a sort of religious justification for everything that they did afterwards. So really, if we want to talk about the roots of racism, it came on the ships of, of, of the Europeans. And as we know, their enslaved people were with them at the time, uh, also uh, through the justification of, um, of religion. So that's really where we're talking about the, the deep, the deep, family tree of origins begins. But more specifically, when we see this develop into um, the kind of evangelical Protestantism that is accompanied with the slave system that was set up in the American South, this is connected to Manifest Destiny. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the concept, of course, the idea that 19th century uh, Christians were given a decree or at least a a pass on their expansion of the U.S. um, to spread their superiority and their religion. So the South is founded on that, that idea that white Christians had right to that land and a right to enslave people and all of that. And then... We see this spread even further as um, many people from the South populate the American West and spread West. Because uh, while we definitely have Easterners, uh, um, Northeasterners that are populating what we think of as the expansion of the American West, it's a lot of Southerners. A lot of Southerners who were unhappy with the Civil War, um, who were very angry having to pay for labor, who wanted to get out of there. Um, You know, there's a lot of reasons. But this Protestant um, form of manifest destiny and racism, it was spread along the train then as well. So it came by ships and trains and, and across then, of course, we know we know the the systems that they set up. You know, we go from slavery to sharecropping and Jim Crow and segregation and and all of those things that even today, the the mass incarceration, those are all systems that maintain, perpetuate and um, often proudly wave the, the constant flag of this. Um, justification, hmm. or de- justification or dismissal yeah. of racism. So that's about as much of a nutshell. No, <laughs> no that's, that's a good nutshell to start with. It is a great nutshell to start with because I loved how you summed it up, that it began with this, with this pursuit of God, gold, and glory, and it still hasn't changed. Um, it, hasn't. Uh, no. it still hasn't changed in what, in what we're pursuing. And so... I, I wanted to talk about this where especially you can kind of wear your historian hat and your uh, your sociologist hat at the same time. Because um, you'd mentioned this term, 
and and it would justification. Yeah. Um, and and justification and the way that that re- religion is oftentimes used as a tool for justification. It is. Um, and you know, I know oftentimes they can say, "Oh, God is telling us to do this," but in these cases, and tell me if I'm wrong, a lot of times it's since people have this fear of God and fear of of whatever God can do, we can use God to get the oh, masses yeah. to move in this direction or to go right. here or to do this. Right. And if we really look at the background of religion from on, on a global perspective, if we sure. go back into ethnographies and anthropology, we can see that in almost every culture, religion is set up to do just this, to justify, to create narratives that allow for control and hierarchy and rules that normally a group of people would not agree to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I, I say that about for example, the justification of slavery. Yeah. I mean, in in no legal system uh, without a religious justification can we find justification for kidnapping a human being, forcing them to do labor, stealing this labor, profiting off of it, and and counting ourselves as, as as moral or ethical, that's that's not uh, that doesn't come from a human rights perspective. It doesn't even come from some of the m- most ancient ideas about self agency and autonomy. Uh, so we have to have you know. There's no other way to get people to do something evil and unethical unless you tell them, well. This thing better, bigger than us, this thing better than us, is, said it was okay, mm-hmm. said it was okay. And, um, it, you know, then people take the law, even people who are not religious, if we can get the law to be influenced by those that religious justification, as they did because they, they were a dominant force in our representative government, um, if you can get it turned into law, then people don't even – even people who aren't religious don't need the justification of God anymore. They use the justification of the law. Mm. Well, the law says I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, at, when we are letting the law or religion excuse or justify something that must be wrong, it mm-hmm. must be wrong to kidnap a person, to, to steal their labor, to rape, to, to murder, to, you know, torture. It must be wrong to do that. And yet we justify it. You can find it in the news. You can find it in social media. You can find it in a barbershop. All over the place, people are justifying behavior that somewhere in their deep heart of hearts they must know is not okay. Mm. They must. And so I think in those, and so tell me if I'm wrong with this, because you were talking about, too, the God, gold, and glory. I think sometimes that idea, um, they're not on a level playing field. Uh, Oftentimes, these justifications can happen when one of those, and I'm not even saying this is any kind of, like, glorious trinity. (laughs) This is kind of like the evil trinity manifest destiny. (laughs) But, But oftentimes, I think that you can end up, you know, if gold and your own personal glory is, is the main thing, then you use God. Um, to be able to get those. We see that right away with the Portuguese and Spanish as they began. They left, you know, on this mission to uh, do this this conquering and exploring and gathering and, you know, acquiring for the, the empires. They do this for 
glory and mm-hmm. for gold, but they have behind them the crown, which is supported by God. Mm-hmm. And so they can go in the name of God and they don't even have to really focus, you know, the narrative on the gold and glory. But if we look, let's say, you know, what some of these, we know the names of the early explorers. They're still called explorers. Yeah. We, some of them have still have a freaking holiday. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, if we look at their lives, if we look what they were really about, they were not representing anything that any religion I can think of would would call, uh, you know, a godly value. Mm. Extreme evangelism, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, a sick. Yeah. I'm joking um, yeah. about that. Um, and, and really what begins to happen, and, and I think that so as, as you as you speak of the origins and then as you speak think about then connecting it to where we are now, um, nowadays, you begin to see these, these, for lack of better terms, sad little white men um, that are fear, they're fearing this, you know, as we've seen this in, in, in what's been fascinating to me is, you know, growing up in the South, that racism was, and bigotry haven't left. No. Um, and, and in certain ways and in certain places, it's kind of been more underground, um, and, and we see the rise of Trump, um, especially at the hands of the evangelicals. Cause what was it? Uh, it's like 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. And we see the rise of this, which is also given justification now for all of these, these heinous and kind of sick views to kind of come back into the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now they're allowed to talk like this. Now they're allowed to rally like this. And it's this idea. I think it's a lot of it's born out of fear. Uh, where we're at right now. I mean, fear that we're losing values, fear that we're losing power, fear that we're losing these, all these things that are really just cultural constructs. Well, and most of these fears that you're mentioning are about the fear of losing unearned privilege. Yeah. And they they may not identify it that way. They may not see it that way. Mm -hmm. But when something you did not earn is taken away from you, it Mm -hmm. feels like a loss. they, They aren't thankful for the 400 years of unearned privilege they stand on. Mm -hmm. Instead, they are upset that now others are given um, a chance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a chance still in a rigged system that is, you know, situated for the success of, of certain people. Mm -hmm. But that's what we're really talking about is a fear of unearned privilege. Mm, I like the way you put that. Um, and so, and so let's, let's talk about this. So we'll, so we'll hop forward a little bit um, in time. Sorry, I'll go back, rewind, and go back, moving forward okay. here. And so, you know, we're talking about Civil War times, um, when the country began to, thankfully, um, and it had happened a little bit before this, but begin to kind of have a moral compass that what we're doing is not right, um, that this may be wrong, we shouldn't be doing this. And there were certain agencies that continued to push forward the racism, or trying to maintain the status quo. You know, a couple of them, and, and I want to talk to these too, like uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention, which, which came out of uh, a dispute over the fact <laughs> they yeah. split with Northern Baptists over That's the right. idea of slavery. They sure um, did. And, they sure did. Talk about justification. Uh, I know. Not only not only justification to to participate in slavery, but justification to split a church. Mm-hmm. 
to split a church. Um, so I want to address that, but I, I would like yeah. to rewind. So I'd like to mention the idea that there was sort of a moral compass that emerged during this time. Because religion was also used to justify the end of slavery or the end of legal slavery in the American South. Because <laughs> slavery is still going on. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, for one, I want to mention that there has always been a moral compass that has been a voice, a beacon, whatever you want to call it. As soon as slavery begins, we have people writing about. So it's pretty much as soon as we have written history, talking mm -hmm. about slavery, we have written history of resistors. But certainly in the Americas, as soon as people who are kidnapped from their homeland are brought here to do work, they begin resisting and organizations and people begin speaking out. Mm -hmm. The North was beginning to grow very tired of competing with a Southern empire that was using stolen labor when they had to pay for theirs. Mm. So I don't want to overemphasize the role. They too used God. They too mm. used verses. They still used religion um, to add to, to, to bring a moral compass into the conversation, but they too had gold and glory behind their justification for wanting to end slavery. So they so you're saying in many ways, at least tell me if I'm right. This is all some of this was about leveling the playing field. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because the south not only I mean were they making um, you know, lots of money. Um they were creating a dominant position and they were um, you know, really getting the glory for converting the U.S. I mean, if we look at the, the antebellum era, this is a time of great economic prosperity for the U.S. You know, it's, you can make a lot of money when you steal labor. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. You're right. Uh, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so, um, yes, they wanted to be able to get some of that golden glory, so mm -hmm. to speak about that. That's just, you know, they're sick and tired of how are you ever going to compete with an entire region, an entire industry that's not paying, you know, the majority of its workforce. That's mm. just impossible. And they're trying to get industrialism really pumping out up there. And they're having to pay factory workers. Well, they already know that slavery is not going to fly up there. And some of them did have a moral compass that might be pointing the direction we're talking about. Yeah. So to, to level it, the best way is to, um, you know, remove the South's unfair advantage. Again, that unearned advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a book I'll mention right here. Yeah. It's called Complicity, How the North Promoted, Prolonged, and Profited from Slavery. Mm. Uh, it is by Joel Lang and Jennifer Frank. Uh, oh, no, and, and Pharaoh, I believe, also. So I wanted to mention that book because that's an eye-opening book about the North's complicity mm. in slavery for a really long time because they sold the processed – you know, they made and sold the processed goods from these very cheap raw materials they were getting from the South for a long time. Well, which, which is fascinating, too, because sometimes we don't – and especially that, that's one thing I've noticed with my children um, as they're going through, like, U.S. history classes and stuff, and, and it amazes me that – well, it's, you know, as they say, like, you know, history is written by the victors. Um, and it, well, and the, it has been so far. We're trying yeah. to change that. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I hope so. But, but we, in fact, and for lack of a better term, we end up 
whitewashing our own history mm-hmm. in many Absolutely. ways um, to make the good guys and the bad guys um, in the way that we look at this. And, and we really take out the complexity of, yeah. of what was happening and the complexity of what was going on within culture and society at these times um, and try to make it as if, as if in many ways that the North bless their dear hearts. Bless uh, their just, dear yeah. hearts. They were just Mother Teresa's oh. out there. Yeah, yeah. Every one of them. Listen, listen, Union soldiers raped enslaved women. Uh, not all of them. I, I'm saying this happened. Raped women and then told them, now you're free. Mm. Now you're free. Mm. This is a, a well-documented, these stories over and over again. So we should not pretend mm-hmm. that the good guys and the bad guys are the North and the South yeah. um, uh, or that the South lost. Uh, <laughs> we can, it is a controversial statement, but I, I hold true to the idea that the South won the civil war, the Confederacy you know, who are old, mm-hmm. the dead elite men, the Confederacy lost, but the South won. They won the abolition of, of slavery. They won. Uh, it was it was better for poor whites. It was better for women. It was better for immigrants. The only people who lost the Civil War were the Confederates, and we continue to add on these kind of like extremist views of all of this. And as you say, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's easier. It's easier for us to conceptualize um, that in American history that we weren't all crappy in some way. Um, and 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 there that is certainly true. We have heroes. We have yeah. we have black and white heroes and many other heroes who are part of this narrative. Mm-hmm. Just as you were mentioning, you know, uh, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. You know, they make this decision, they split off, but you still have the Northern Baptists. Yeah, you know, for every one of the the tragic approaches that the the southern baptist um line took we see the northern baptists chose to you know place uh, themselves in a different part of history mm-hmm. and and this was a time when people did have to decide yeah now they weren't deciding about whether they were racist though please let's not think that mm-hmm. they were deciding about whether or not slavery should be legal based on race. Mm. <laughs> so it, it's, that is a long, far cry uh, from, uh, you know, people really freeing themselves from the racist ideas that have been implanted in us generation after generation after generation. Which, which is still very much alive. Even mentioning that, like with, uh, if we look to the Southern Baptist Convention, because they are the, they're the largest non-Catholic Christian denomination um, in America with and that, it, hmm? with that legacy, yeah, with, oh, legacy, with, with that know? legacy. And I'm not saying all, um, you know, are completely owning up to, to that legacy. I know many have tried to own up to this, to this, to the past and the legacy, but this was, uh, 2017 last year when they had the, their, the Southern Baptist convention, their, their meeting where everyone comes together. Um, it ended up turning very chaotic because it, they had a resolution that was, uh, that was brought up that was meant to condemn white supremacy and the alt-right. So that there, was, there was a lot of tension about being able to even condemn white supremacy and the alt-right, which should always be a win. Like, in my mind, it should, oh, like, of course, like, this should be easy. We should be able to, and eventually they did pass it. 
But during their convention meetings, it turned into chaos mm. over this topic, which I'm still like pounding myself in the head and being like, really, guys? Like, like, and this was in 2017, but like, seriously, like, how is this not a default like answer? How is this not just oh, a total pass through? Like, yeah, we're totally <laughs> fine with this. Alt right, bad. Uh, white supremacy, bad. But but we are still clinging to that. And and you had mentioned, which which I thought was interesting, that the Civil War being about you know ending slavery, like the the legality of this. Mm -hmm. um, and so when do we begin to see this kind of consciousness um, about the idea of racism? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like when when, it, when does this become something that becomes part of like the cultural consciousness that you have people like noting like oh wait a second, uh, this is a well, thing. It depends. If we're talking about white scholars, not till recently. Okay. Black scholars were talking about it then. Yeah. They, yeah and they oh, kept yeah. talking about it the whole time. You know, we can look at Du Bois and see that he was talking mm -hmm. about it way before other people. Yeah. And so were many other people um, talking about this social construction. Harry Tubman. Mm -hmm. I, know, I mean, Sorgeon of Truth. We've got long lists of people and many more we'll never know who are doing that work. But in terms of it being accepted and confronted and really dealt yeah. with uh, on an academic level, you know, changing the histories, uh, it, it's not until after the civil rights movement when black and brown people really have access to graduate school and can start writing those histories and get them published mm. and influencing white scholars who were, you know, able to stop talking for long enough to listen. <laughs> <laughs> which still hasn't completely happened no uh, it hasn't uh, no yeah. it hasn't i'm we you, you can find a, a easy google search youtube search very popular academics who are out there it's their life mission to prove that racism either no longer exists or never did as a social construction and you know i mean this is this is uh, that means they're not listening mm-hmm Oh, and um, so fortunately, we've got the civil rights m movement behind us. We have, this, you know, um, at least legal de desegregation of these educational institutions that are allowing historians from other backgrounds to tell the stories, to look at the information um, without all of that burdening them. Um, and also with the conviction to, to, I mean, black scholars, other scholars of color, uh, other scholars who haven't traditionally been considered part of the mainstream academy, they are writing very important work, uh, works about all of these things that we're talking about. And they've been writing them. Th this stuff is out there, you know? Um, uh, so it's there and the field is growing, but now we have to get it from academics into text textbooks, mainstream textbooks. And then we've got to get it into, you know, college classrooms. And then we've got to get it into high school classrooms. And we have teachers that are teaching out of textbooks from a long, long time ago. Some of them before there were any influence uh, of those kinds of scholars. And they're using them in the classroom and they will be for a long time because schools don't uh, have budgets for updated materials and people are resistant to it because that's by golly what their teacher taught them and they're not going to have this new fangled stuff. So, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a long process of changing this, but it, you know, that's why I feel like it's so important that people who, who are aware 
of this kind of scholarship and do have this information are talking about it and talking about it with people who might not normally be talking to someone who has access to that information. Mm. Some people really don't know. My Grammy, bless her heart, she was educated most of her life by Fox News and her pastor Mm -hmm. who said the same things because he too was mostly educated by Fox News. And, you know, she, she could never be rescued from that. No, she she left this world feeling confused and a lot of hatefulness that it, it was not part of what I knew her to to believe about her religion or the world around her 30 years ago. And, um, you know, not all of those hearts and minds will be changed by any amount of evidence um, because they're not going to look at it or they don't want to or they don't trust it. And so some of that will simply take a lot of time, but it's an uphill battle Mm -hmm. and it's constant and um, there's a lot of resistance to it because if we acknowledge these things are systemic, Mm -hmm. then we, we, we become complicit if we don't resist Mm -hmm. them. And we all know that in our heart. So speaking of this, because you were talking about just the resistance to this, what, and and you're, you're starting, you're, you're, you're getting there. And, 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 and I think I may have cut you off in this, but what, what, what are those things that continue to be a stronghold that, that keep, especially the South? I'm not saying, again, I, you know, I, I've lived on both, uh, <laughs> both coasts in our country. And, you know, one of the biggest areas uh, in our country for, uh, for skinheads uh, was near outside of Spokane, Washington. So this uh-huh. isn't strictly a Southern no, thing. It's, it's, it's an American thing. It but, is. But what are those things that, that keep a stronghold? What, what are those things that keep us from uh, evolving and changing and having, uh, having our eyes open to these things that are around us? Like, there, there is a huge resistance to change. Right, right. So one of the, the you know, here, I'm going to go back to that social justice educator, that educator in me. You know, one of the things is that we're not spending enough money on education. I mean, that, that's just at, at the bare bones beginning of what is holding us back is it's education. Um, I was raised in that environment. I was raised in a white religious justifying family. As I told you, uh, one of our earlier chats, my father was a police officer and, uh, cop culture is a uh, very similar to religious culture and, uh, it perpetuates a lot of this. And so uh, we, we have a system that is not having the proper money and funds and resources um, spent on education. Uh, even though we know that this has been a region of the country that's been under-resourced for a long time. So education is at the bottom of it. Um, and then the poverty that is in the South. Uh, you know, you can look at the statistics. The poverty in the South is a is a very real and pressing issue. And poverty that is systemic has all kinds of, you know, obvious and latent dysfunctions to it. And one of them is it keeps people in survival mode. It's hard to grow when you are spending most of your time and energy trying to survive. 
in a world that has rules that are different than what they say the rules are on TV and in the textbooks and in the churches. They got to know they have to live by rules that life has taught them. So learning rules from somebody else is hard when you're trying to survive poverty and racism and all of this extreme conditions that a lot of places are dealing with specifically in the South. So poverty and education are going to be you know, some of the main things, but we also have, you know, healing that has to happen. Mm. Uh, so that's not an, that's not always a purely intellectual process yeah. and healing. And li- it's hard to listen when you're wounded and, and, and that's understandable and on either end. I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not talking about any one particular group. But even if you're, if even if I think you're just, you're not justified, or you're not, uh, you you shouldn't be hurt. That doesn't change if someone is hurt and they need healing. So in order for healing to happen, so that we can listen to each other and we can learn, um, we have to acknowledge what happened. Mm. You know, as long as people are saying that didn't happen, it wasn't that bad, it's not still going on. That gaslighting and victim blaming and minimizing dismissing. You know, it's like that uncle that molested everyone in the family and no one will admit it and they want you to lie about it. And they wonder why you're angry and why you don't want to hang out with that uncle. Hmm. Uh, Not to give uncles a bad name. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the first step is that this uncle must acknowledge what he has done and stop doing it and remove himself in an accountable way from continuing to do this. Hmm. No, how can we heal if uncle is still abusing people? Let's say it's uncle Sam. Hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how can we hmm. heal from that? If uncle Sam won't even admit he's been abusing us all this time or abusing our neighbor, abusing our friends, our loved ones, our family, our community members, our church members. So, Without that acknowledgement, we can educate ourselves, we can learn, and we can try intellectually to work out solutions. But if we're talking about healing, Mm -hmm. there's going to have to be acknowledgement, regret. I'm sorry that happened. Mm. I mean, sometimes that goes so far to say, I I realize, I see now, I, I hear what you say. You know, as long as people say that didn't happen to you, that didn't happen to your grandparents, that didn't happen to your great grandparents. Listen, lynchings did not happen that long ago. Look mm-hmm. at Jasper. That's 92. And we have uh, uh, many other cases of people that can be called lynchings today. Mm-hmm. But even if we look at the historical era of lynching, that is not so far removed that people in the South don't remember it. And the smell of burning hair, the smell of burning skin is not something you can just heal from because you read a book. Mm. That takes somebody saying this should not have happened. It caused trauma that has generational problems and it's built into the system and we got to fix it. That's how you show you're sorry. That's how you show people you're ready to heal and unite a country, mm-hmm. you acknowledge what you did wrong, you accept responsibility for it, and then you work toward making amends. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to get me preaching over here. Ah, yeah, but see that—that's <laughs> no, but that's that's the thing that that you're you're right that there there is a difference between simply forgiving and 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 reconciliation. Um, because you know, for forgiveness, I can forgive something that has happened to me. 
because it gets it off of my consciousness. It, it gets it out of, out of me. But the idea of reconciliation is the two coming to the table to both be able to admit and, and hopefully say that there is a way forward. Right. And uh, let's just say, let's just say for the sake of argument that yeah. the answer to this solution was that black people and brown people who have been discriminated based on a racist system, what they need to do is forgive and then we'll just move on. Oh, no. The, oh, but that's not what I was saying. Say, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, let's yeah. just say that yeah. for the sake of argument. Yeah. That is placing all the work, on all them. the emotional work on the victims themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's got to be one of the grossest yeah. ways to respond to abusing someone is to expect them then to do all the labor of healing and recovering and reconciliation. And, and so if people want or need to forgive on their own, um, that's, that's on them. I know there are a lot of views on that. Some people say, if you don't forgive, you'll, um, be bitter. It'll have a bitter root to grow in your heart. I'm Mm going to tell you some people did some very horrible things to me in my life Mm -hmm. over the years. Some of them I, I, uh, address publicly at different times. I don't feel obligated to forgive them. Mm -hmm. I think what they did was forgivable and I'm okay with that. And I've never felt plagued or burdened or Mm -hmm. held down by that. In fact, I feel like I'm honoring my survival Mm -hmm. by tucking away in my register book that they have, they owe a debt Mm -hmm. they have not paid. And I might not be collecting on it anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's still in my book. And forgiveness means you write off a debt and Mm -hmm. I haven't written them off and I'm okay. I'm not suffering. But if others want or need to forgive, mm-hmm. if that's part of their healing, yeah. I, I fully support it. But that can't be the only answer. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know? uh, but, but what you're also – but I was trying to get at – like what, what you're getting is this idea of, of, of admitting where you're at. And we're, we're mm-hmm. now at this place in America where I feel like – and it's easy to, to, to speak like hyperbolically that this is the most divided we've ever been. Uh, but it does feel that we are incredibly – polarize at this moment in history i have no idea why that would be um i say no, facetiously no, could not no. possibly be white backlash related oh, yeah. to an Obama or, I mean, or i could just say sad um in all of that <laughs> you know but yes that we don't have a, an embodiment of all of this white backlash with a bad comb over happening but that's neither here nor there but when we're at this place where we are so polarized with this and and in many ways I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is, what is a way forward? What is a course forward? Especially when, we're, as we're speaking about our, our very deep racist roots in our country, where many of one side do not want to admit, do not want to even acknowledge, do not want any of that. It, it feels like there ends up being, I, I don't know. So, so what, what are roads forward? Well, I will say, and not everyone agrees with me, and I don't disparage the work that they do, but if someone does not want to admit, acknowledge, (laughs) um, they don't want to listen, they don't want to learn, they want to remain steadfast in their um, willful ignorance, Mm -hmm. I don't know how we can reconcile with them. However, I believe there are more people who do want to learn and accept and, and, and will at least open a tiny door in their heart or, or mind. And so I believe that the best approach is that we ally based on everything we have in common instead of focusing on our differences. And uh, um, I, I mean that in a, in a qualified way. When we make allied groups, uh, which are essential right now to building community and all kinds of things, 
we want to use our differences, our diversity to give us strength. Yeah. But our goals should be set on what we have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in a way, maybe we're the most polarized we've ever been. However, uh, in another way, I feel like there are entire groups of Americans that are more unified than ever before because we have one thing we can all agree on, and that is that we totally disagree with what this person has done with the office of the presidency. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a unifying factor. That's more unifying than anything I've seen. I mean, uh, Obama had a great unifying factor. Trump does too in a in a horrific way, yeah. but we're joining together because like I might disagree with this person on three other things, but if they can see, mm. you know, the harm of what's happening right now, at least we have that in common. So I I encourage people, first of all, to self-educate. If you are willing to admit, to acknowledge either the the complicity that you personally have taken part in or that which you have experienced unearned. Because, see, unearned privilege is what causes racism. Hmm. If it's unearned racial privilege, if I'm getting more privilege than I should have, someone else is getting less. Yeah. So we can educate ourselves we can um, start there mm-hmm. and talk to other white people. We, we we don't need to be leaving this work to the people who have experienced the worst of it. Mm. You know, they need to spend their time healing. Thank God they're out there educating us all the time, mm-hmm. speaking out. I mean, the the work, especially the black women do on public education, it, it's 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 just a, such a blessing. But it's not their responsibility. Yeah. It's ours. And, um, so I think it's, it's important that we educate ourselves and then that we create as many alliances as we can Mm. based on these commonalities and that we choose to pick our battles, that we're not battling our allies. I I see a lot of that. You're not doing enough in this way. And these people are, you know, let's focus on the goals that unite us Mm. and the common enemy ideas. Well, and, and. And not to sound crass in, in how I will lay this out, because you're mentioning how, you know, your your Fox News uh, church love and grandma um, that was very much caught, caught in kind of their own, uh, caught her own ideology because she didn't probably insulated herself with only being able to hear certain Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Entirely. And I have family members like that as well, too. I have family members like, like to rip on my show. Uh, very much from that uh, standpoint, which is always fun. And, but to use kind of a story, like go, even delving back, like Old Testament, um, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh-huh. And God has them wandering in the desert. And much of that was for the old guard to be able to die out. <laughs> and so the process of moving forward, and I'm not saying we want people to die but, but I think it ends up being a generational thing, too, that sometimes the hope is that, that we are continuing to be engaged in the fight that we're in right now to do what is right. Um, and as time goes on, some of those ideals will begin to hopefully fall off. Like the hope, like I watch these kids from Parkland and they're, they're just, they're inspirational as well, too, just about how, how dialed in they are right. for trying to create change. And, and I would love to be able to see young people that are that dialed in in other arenas of, of injustice in society mm-hmm. moving forward as well, too. Because there's a lot of stuff that's not covered in the light that it is. 
and not me being completely cynical, but you know, we I don't think we quite covered Ferguson. Um, oh, of course. In the no, same way, like we're that's, covering uh, we a, a large uh, amount of that's right. Uh, pigment challenge students in many ways down in Parkland, Florida. I'm not saying they all are. I'm not, and I'm not knocking these kids. I think they're doing great work, but I think some of it is the way that what we tend to gravitate towards. Absolutely. Um, the coverage is different. And yeah. and if you can, if, if we look at the coverage and we don't see the racism that was involved mm-hmm. in not only the amount of coverage, but the way that these stories were covered, mm-hmm. then that's the, those are those blind spots that I'm yeah. talking about. Those, yeah. those, those spaces where people are either willfully or by some other means managing to miss this information that is available everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to be educated about race, racism, uh, you can be. It, it, it's out there. It, it can be done. So you saying that, I want you to, 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 throw, um, to throw out some of the stuff that you're working on as well, too. Because I right. feel like that's a good segue. Um, right. so, so if uh, people are wanting to be educated, tell us how. So every uh, weekend, um, my, I host, along with uh, several other academics, um, scholars, activists, artists, all kinds of people who participate in an online teach-in called Saturday School, uh, hashtag Saturday School. And every week we choose a different social justice topic and we provide all kinds of information about the topic, different aspects of the topic. We have resources on Pinterest, uh, Facebook, and we meet originally the hashtag is Saturday School, but we also have a, a topical hashtag we call them the so just hashtag. So it's, it's hashtag so just and then any of the topics for the week. Uh, recently, we've covered some things like um, so just sports, so just air. Um, this weekend is so just fashion. People might not think about clothing and fashion as a social justice issue. And uh, we have many others that you can find at so just hashtags. So I welcome anyone. They can also find me on Twitter at Prof Ragsdale. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty accessible. So, so Rhonda, as, as we start to kind of wrap this up, I've got a couple just, we'll, we'll hit a couple things rapid fire. So what right now is exciting you the most? The opportunity for, um, I mean, today, I'll tell you, today. Yeah. It, it's the opportunity that we have to use social media, um, which is a, you know, for all the negative things you want to say about it. It's monetized. It's got all kinds of problems with it. It's also a democratization of media. And we can use social media and youth activism right now to really speak um, in ways that are are exciting. If we look back over some of the main social justice uh, movements throughout time, children were involved. Children suffer social injustices. Uh, just as much, if not more, often more than adults do. And they are not complicit. They're, they're like the only ones not complicit. Mm-hmm. And they suffer so much. And they they were involved in the March to Versailles. You know, they were involved in um, uh, all, all, all kinds of um, social movements. And, of course, we know they were involved in the, the civil rights movements. Mm-hmm. You know, children's marches were um, a very important part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s strategic approach to um, his his methods. But it, it wasn't just Chicano students, a, a lot of students um, who weren't even able to vote have participated in social change. And it's exciting for me because I've never been one of those people that was, uh, you know, begrudgingly speaking of those younger than me. I will always be an advocate for children, especially teenagers. 
they they speaking of moral guides they often have uh some of the most powerful ones so i'm gonna hit if you're good with this i'm gonna hit you up with the word association okay can you handle this okay okay i'm game okay um and honest just be honest okay Okay, be so honest i don't even mind bleeping if i need to Uh, as as i edit this okay 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 betsy devos Uninformed. Church. Establishment. Jeff Sessions. Tired. Justice. Goal. Equality. Hope. And hope. So it's a phrase. I can't. I can't put my finger on the word. Oh, it's fine. it's it's the reason I go on. Mm-hmm. Purpose. There we go. It's purpose. Purpose. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much um, for being a part of the show. I think that it's you know I, I've enjoyed this conversation. And as we've talked before, you're willing to be back here. We, I am. We, we haven't run you off. We back. haven't run you off. Okay. Nope. And so a reminder for everybody else: if you want to be able to find out more um, about the the work that Rhonda is doing, so hashtag Saturday School, correct? Yes, that's right. You can also find me on Twitter at Prof Ragsdale. And if you looked at my pinned tweet, it'll tell you exactly how to participate in Saturday school. You can be a student, you can be an educator, a lurker, whatever you want. <laughs> well, yes, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your voice. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate you coming on here. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to joining you again. So again, thanks so much for Rhonda for being on the show. If you want to find her, connect with her, just look up at Prof Ragsdale on Twitter. You won't be disappointed at all. So as we end this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And and if you've got comments, if you've got thoughts, if you're you've got ideas. If you want to argue or disagree with me, if you want to tell me, hey, great job, you know what you can do? Email me at questions at snarkyfaith.com. So thank you so much for joining us this past hour. And what I want to go ahead and tell you is this. I want to send you out into the world with grace and peace and just the right amount of snark. That's all I've got. And I will catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. God bless United States. Thank you very much. United States. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.